Well, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's where we find ourselves again this morning. Only looking at two verses this morning. Verses 11 and 12. Before we read that, though, last week's sermon seemed to have struck a chord with some people. If you're like me, you're saying, what was last week's sermon? Because I would normally for, completely forget, forget, just like you probably did. Uh, but some of you haven't. And I would encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to go back and listen to that sermon. It's on our website. It's also on our podcast. Uh, we also do a sermon review every week. that I think it gets posted on Wednesdays, I believe. But I'd encourage you to listen to that as well, as us as pastors talk about the sermon But I think it brought to light some thoughts for us that maybe we don't have because the focus was on contentment, on being content in our life and that God calls us to be content and not a content in a way that is complacent, but content knowing that God is sovereign, He is a good God, and He has you where you are. And no matter what situation you find yourself in this morning, we are called to be content But that contentment leads to satisfaction. It leads to a joy and a hope and a peace in our current situation, uh, regardless of where we may find ourselves. I mean, the song we just sung kind of goes with that and kind of goes along with that. And if you thought about that at all this week, I guarantee you struggled with it. I guarantee you found it hard. I can almost guarantee you found yourself in a situation when you were complaining and whining and then you thought, wait, I'm supposed to be content. And you realized how hard it is. You realized how deep that sin really can be uh, in, our, in our life. And so we're coming off the thought of that. Uh, Paul there in verse 10 talks about the love of money, the root of all kinds of evils, and how many people actually have went away because of it. Uh, and so let's look at verse 11 and 12, thinking about that, though, in our mind. He says, But as for you, talking to Timothy... O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Again, I just want to look at these two verses because there's a, a lot of words in here that I think we need to take some time uh, to look at. But like as I said, Paul comes off this talk about contentment, and then he goes to Timothy, and he wants to talk to Timothy specifically, and he says, but as for you, O man of God. Now this phrase, O man of God, is, is not a, a small one at all. Timothy here being called the man of God, would, uh, it would cause the listeners of this letter, I would be sure of this, to think of the Old Testament, because the the term man of God was used in the Old Testament quite a few times. But when the term man of God was used in the Old Testament, I want you to hear this list of people it was talking about. People like Moses, Joshua, David, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha. These were the men that were referred to as the men of God, man of God. And so when Paul would say man of God here to Timothy, people hearing this letter would think of those men and think this is who they're talking he he is putting Timothy in with this group of men this title here is no joking manner at all and what it ha- what happens is we see the importance of the role of pastor once again but this importance of the role of pastor extends 
from this pulpit into the life of the pastor, which we're going to see. But what I want us to understand is, although Paul here is specifically talking to Timothy, this relates to every single one of us in here who claim to be children of God. Because the, what he's going to say to Timothy here are things that are said of all Christians in many other places in Scripture. The only thing that really sets Timothy apart from other Christians is his work in the pulpit, is preaching the Word of God. And so as we go through these four things that Paul declares should be a part of the life of a man of God, I want you to understand that this is your life as well. As a, as a believer. And so don't just look at me this morning and say, Pastor Tim, I hope you're doing all these things well. I'm looking at you saying, I hope you are too. <laughs> I hope we're trying our best to do these things well together. Because it's important for us to seek after the Lord and to grow. And so these are four things. And here's the four things that we're going to look at this morning. We're told here, number one, to flee. But then we're told to pursue which is kind of backwards, is it not? Flee, pursue, and then to fight, and then he says to take hold. And so we're going to look at those four things. The first one being flee, there in verse 11. He says, oh man of God, flee these things. Well, the question would be, what are these things? Well, we've already talked about this in chapter 6. Up in verses 3 through 5, Paul tells Timothy, he says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ... And the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. These are the things that Paul tells Timothy to flee versus false teaching. Stay away from false teaching. And the snare of false teaching is an easy one to fall into. And you don't have to be a pastor to know that. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3-5, through 5, Paul would later tell Timothy, he says, and if this doesn't describe our time, I don't know what does. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I think you would know this to be true, but it is so easy to scratch itchy ears. It's so easy to be in conversation where we realize it's much easier to scratch this person's ear than to tell them the truth. Maybe you've been in a situation with a coworker or a family member, and they're just ranting and raving on about something, and you don't agree with it at all, but what do you say? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And why do you do that? It's scratching their ear. You're not trying to cause a fight. You're in the middle of Walmart. You mean you don't want to throw down about politics or something like that, so you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're kind of smiling, and what are you doing? It's like that puppy dog. You're scratching behind their ear because it's easy. That's the easiest thing to do. And don't get me wrong, in those situations, I'd be doing that as well. I'm not trying to fight in Walmart over something. But I just say that so we can kind of get the understanding. It is so easy to stand before a crowd. If you have any experience in public speaking or if public speaking doesn't uh, freak you out, 
to stand before a crowd, to get an understanding of the crowd, and then right away to start scratching their ears so that they love you. They love everything that you're saying. To me, I don't find that to be a very hard task. And in result of you telling them exactly what they want to hear, what do they do back to you? They love you. They love what you have to say. It's pretty interesting. I don't know how you feel about our news nowadays. But it's hard to find good news. And I don't mean good news that's uplifting. I mean good news of journalists who've done their job and are telling us the truth of what's happening so that we can make a decision. Now, I would guess if I polled all of you, some of you would say, well, Pastor Tim, I found the news agency for you. And you'll tell me what it is, but I'm going to guess it leans more towards what you think anyways. Now, why do you like that news agency? Oftentimes, it itches your ears. You don't want to be sitting at the dinner table hearing something you don't like or something you disagree with. And so what you're going to have on is something that scratches your ears. And here is what the news agencies have found out, is you are willing to pay to have your ears scratched. And that's what they need, is more money. They need more listeners, more followers. And so sadly, many of our journalists today have turned to scratching people's ears instead of digging down for the truth. Instead of telling us something maybe we don't want to hear, because that doesn't sell. That doesn't click, right? That doesn't get you to the link. You see, scratching people's ears takes so little effort. Yet what it produces, according to Paul to Timothy, is it produces a life of chaos and a life of strife, which I think we have seen. You see, teaching without truth only leads to destruction. And while we can see that in the public sphere, sadly we can see that too often with pastors who fall prey to this. And the result, our church is not centered on Jesus, not centered on the gospel, but we have churches centered on man and on man's well-being and what man wants to hear. And so the first thing that we are to flee is this false teaching. Paul's encouraging Timothy here to flee this false teaching, but there's a second thing, and it's something I think we don't want to hear, but it kind of went a little bit with last week's love of, of, of contentment, is the love of money. See, this again is another sin that is so easy to fall into. And not just fall into, but get out of and fall into again, get out of, fall into again, get out of, fall into again. We've all done that numerous times. We continue to fall into this trap of, of money. Now, remember, money and wealth, it's not a sin on its own. But what Paul is warning here is he's saying it can easily lead to sin. We can easily fall into that trap. And so we have to be careful of that. And so this morning, and I hope I said this enough last week, if you find yourself in a situation where you're pretty wealthy, honor God with your wealth. That's what you're called to do. You're not sinning because you're wealthy. Honor God because you're wealthy. But if you find yourself this morning in a different situation where you are not wealthy, I would ask you to honor God where you find yourself right now. Whatever that position might be. We all know, don't we, the feeling of envy. We all know the feeling of jealousy. And we know the truth of that proverb that we read last week, that what that does is it rots our bones. Jealousy and envy can completely rot our bones. And what it does is, number one, it can lead to hatred of self because you never feel good enough about yourself because you're always envious or jealous of somebody else. And so you, you hate yourself 
Because you're not where you think you should be. Well, that's a problem. That's a horrible place to live. But on the flip side, you don't just hate yourself. Guess what also happens? You hate everybody else around you when you live with jealousy and envy. Why? Because those who you view have it better than you, you're jealous of them, you hate them, you think they've done it for wrong reasons, whatever it might be. Now, I can tap into this really quick to make you say, I am guilty of that, because if you or your family watches uh, HGTV at all, you will find yourself being jealous. There'll be a couple, they're like, we're 21 and we're 22, and we have a budget of $1.5 million today. And you're like, what? How does that happen? It's like, well, I work at home and I'm a stay-at-home mom. And they're like, what? What kind of jobs do you guys have? Instantly, I hate those people. I think, why do you deserve that? My budget would be like 1.5 thousand. But it's jealousy. And it just eats us up inside to where now I don't like these people, even though I have no reason not to like these people. Or, we can do it another way. We look at the people who we don't think are as blessed as us, and we just think, oh, you poor little person down there. And that's how we view them. We don't view them as equals. Uh, we don't view them necessarily as people who are like us, struggling with sin, that had a Savior come and die for them. It's like, oh, I just feel so bad for them people. Or it could even get so bad where you're like, I don't want them around. They're making me feel bad. I see they don't have as much, and it just makes me get down. I don't want them around me. Again, we might not verbalize that stuff, but I think we've all felt that at times. And this cannot be for the believer. This is something we must avoid. This, this way of living, we need to avoid it at all costs because of the impact that it has on ourselves and on those around us. And just simply, we're not called to that style of living as a Christian. And so this love of money is something we need to take very seriously. I don't need to say sins, but there are sins that we flee real quick. I mentioned this a little bit last week. There are sins that you personally avoid because you know the traps of them. It could be something that maybe you struggled with in the past. God has helped you to, to overcome that, but you're afraid of falling back into it. So you completely avoid it at all costs because you know the dangers of that sin. But yet when it comes to the love of money, too often we, we actually keep it close by. We know that we should avoid that temptation, but it's like, yeah, but I don't want to put it too far out of sight because what if God wants to make me wealthy? I want to have that opportunity if that's the case. And so we keep it as close as we possibly can when actually Scripture is telling us, Paul is telling Timothy, run from this as if your life depends on it. Do not let this temptation hit. Now, listen, I'm not scratching your ears this morning because this is not a sermon I would ever preach to Americans if I was scratching their ears. Because I know it goes against our culture. And so I think what we need to be doing as Christians when it comes to this is we need to pray that God would help us to flee from this temptation. And maybe what your first prayer needs to be isn't, God, help me to flee from this temptation. But maybe what our first prayers need to be today is, God, help me to want to flee from this temptation. Because, God, right now I don't want to flee it. So asking you to help me to flee it is kind of foolish because I'm not going to. So, God, would you... Would you put it in my heart to have a desire to flee this temptation of the love of money because of the destruction that it can cause?
in my life. You see 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It might have popped up on the screen already. This is a good verse to memorize for those of us who are weak. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That's a first good word. You can never get into a point to where you're sinning. I think Spencer might have talked about this on the podcast or something recently. When you're like, this sin is special to me and me only. Nobody else understands this sin. No. All those sins you go through, common to man. We're all sinners. There's not some special you sin that only you struggle with. We all are there. Okay? So he says, there's no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now listen, the way of escape most often is very simply flee, which is what we're talking about here. It's not, hey, man up and fight it. It's no, you are not man enough to fight this. Flee. Start running. Get out of here because you can't handle this. You can't keep watching this and avoid sinning. Or you can't keep getting this close to money and avoid sinning. Or whatever the sin might be, you need to simply run. But isn't that going to make me look weak and weird in front of my kids, in front of my wife, in front of my friends? Who cares? Flee as if your life depends on it. Run away. Get out of here. Because that is the opportunity that God has given you according to 1 Corinthians 10.31. There's a way out. And oftentimes that way is simply run. Avoid it. Get out of the way. So we need to remember that, I think, when it comes to fleeing. But Paul doesn't just say flee. He also says to pursue. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. And so while we're fleeing from sin, there are things that as believers we are to pursue and to go after. The first one, he says, is righteousness. Now, this is not the righteousness we're given in Christ, but a righteousness that we pursue because of what Christ has done for us, because in Scripture we cannot deny. Peter says this. He says, "Be holy." We as Christians are to live holy lives, and we want to per- pursue that way of living. And so, I think a good way to think about this word righteousness, as compared to godliness, which we're going to get to here in a second, is an external way we live—not the inward, but the external. Being people of morals, being people who who strive to do what is right. Those are good things for us as Christians. And we must, Paul says, actively pursue that. But then he also says godliness. Again, this is a little nuance from righteousness, and I think of it as being more internal. So understanding who God is, understanding what God has done, and that then leading us to a life of worship, of worshiping God correctly and and rightly number one as we gather here it's very important that we worship how God wants us to worship when we come here and gather together but then also it needs to extend into your personal life you are worshiping God according to what he would want and you do that because you understand who he is and what he has done for you in first Corinthians again chapter 10 verse 31 you guys know this verse Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, what does he say? Do all to the glory of God. Well, it becomes a lot easier to do this when we know 
what it means about glorifying God and that he deserves our glory, or the glory. The next thing Paul says here is faith. Now again, this is a faith that we pursue on a daily basis. Trusting in the promises of God despite what we see in our life. Despite the obstacles that come our way, we continue to to pursue faith day in and day out because we all know troubles are going to arise. But in the midst of these troubles, what do we do? We say, God, I trust you. God, I love you. God, I know that you love me. That's always a a reminder that I give to families uh, at at funerals. I want those people to know this this is such a horrible spot to be in in life. But do not doubt for a second that God loves you even though you're going through this. God loves you even though you're feeling this hurt and feeling this pain. Because he tells us in his word that he, he loves us and that he, that he cares about us. And so despite our troubles, we trust God loves us and has this plan for us. Or despite our own success, we know it's God who gives all good gifts. And we have nothing to boast about except for him. And that's probably where a lot of us find ourselves. A lot of you are doing very well, and that's great. But we can't for a second start to think, I'm doing so well because, I mean, look at me. Of course I am. I've went to school, and I got good grades, and I went, worked really hard and tried to achieve these jobs, and so I'm in the position I'm in because I have worked hard. Be careful. You are in the position you are in because God allows you to be the position you're in. That's the only reason you're breathing at this moment. Is because God, every breath, tells your body, breathe again. Breathe again. Every time your heart beats, it's because God is saying, beat. 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 And if for one second he says, nah, guess what? It's over. No matter how healthy you are, no matter if you go out and run miles all the time, or whatever you do, you are where you are because of God. Even if it's success, or if in the moment you're finding yourself in difficulty, and in struggle. And Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, no matter where you find yourself, continue to pursue faith. This is active. Well, then he goes on and says love. Opposed to the notion of our culture, did you know that love is not something that just happens? Love doesn't just magically occur where all of a sudden you just have this bond with somebody and there's instant love. It doesn't work that way. Paul says love needs to be pursued each and every day. And this is something that the Bible teaches all over the place. And in fact, the Bible tells us that love is hard work. It's hard to love somebody well. It's hard to love in all relationships, no matter what the relationship might be. It is difficult to love people. Yet as Christians, we know that God loves us perfectly in this way. Despite Tim's flaws, despite my mess-ups, despite my personality disorders, whatever they might be, God still loves me. And I, he then calls me, what? To love him faithfully, but also to love others. And so my love of God needs to be something that I pursue day in and day out. Praying to him, God, help me to love you more today. God, help me to, to see you in your word more today. God, help me to love you how I should as I go about my business today. It's active. But it's the same way in the church. I don't know how often I say this. I feel like it's constant. But we know that we are not a group that's easy to love. 
you have faults. I have, I have faults. We, we have different opinions on different things. And there's all kinds of struggles that, uh, that arise. And so for us to be a church family, to be the family that God calls us to be, we must actively pursue loving each other. Reminding myself, Tim, you've been called to love him even though he is annoying. Love him. All right. I have to actively pursue that in order to love that person. But it's what we do as a church family because we are called to it. Why? Because God actively pursued us. And he loved us through his son Jesus. And now he's put us together to love each other. And let me give you a warning. If you're like, well, this church is too weird, good luck finding one that isn't. I mean, I've been around. I've met a lot of church people. And for me, it's a lot easier for me to be friends with lost people than church people because church people are crazy, all of them. I very rarely meet a normal one. It's like, man, you are bonkers. I would rather go talk to this other person, you know? It's, I'm telling you, it's everywhere. No church is perfect. No church has the perfect plan. No church has the perfect people. Ours doesn't either. But God says, pursue each other in love. Then Paul says steadfastness as well. What Paul means here is bearing up under difficulty and stress. Being steadfast as a believer in our sinful world and under our own sinful hearts is something we have to actively pursue because if we don't, and maybe this is where you find yourself this morning, you find yourself in just a desert of despair. I mean, the weight of the world feels like it's on your shoulders. Every day you wake up wondering what China's doing as if you have any control over it. I mean, you just wake up with just this weight and you are in such despair because of the health of a family member or yours or, or a financial situation that you find yourself in or whatever it might be that weighs you down and you are just getting to the point of being completely crushed. Paul says this is actually kind of normal. And we need to be steadfast. We as Christians have been prepared to face difficulty. The world has not. They can't be steadfast because they are what? They're on sinking sand. We as the church are on the rock. We are the only ones that can hold up to the stresses of life because we know it's not us. It's God who holds it. And so we trust him despite all of these things. And so we seek after him so that we can be steadfast. We've all been there before where we wonder, what is all of this for? How difficult this is? Is it going to get more difficult? And the questions continue to come, but we must fight that, trusting in God's love and staying steadfast. When we stay steadfast, we're always reminded why we continue to battle. Why do we keep doing what we're doing? There are many weeks where I think as pastor, I'm done. I don't want this job anymore. It's too hard. This is too difficult. It's too much of a weight to bear. I'm tired of hearing about another family problem or another issue or another struggle or another hurt or another heartache. I just want a job that I can punch in and punch out and not think about it anymore. Right? You, you think about these things, but then that steadfastness comes in and it says, but why are you doing what you're doing? And the answer is, because there is a people 
that God has saved by his grace who need to continue to grow. And it's you that I've asked to do this. There's a lost world and people and dying and going to hell. Why do we as Christians keep doing this for the chance that we can let them know how much Jesus loves them? That's why we keep doing it. That's why we keep taking on whatever might happen. It's because God has given us a task to be light in a dark world. And it's worth it. Because God himself came into this dark world to give us light. So that we could be saved in Christ. The last one. If all of these weren't hard enough, I think this is the hardest one, at least for me. Gentleness. Of all the qualities that Paul could talk about, he had to throw in gentleness. Some people, it seems, has a gift when it comes to gentleness. It's just, it's just part of them. It's, it seems to be who they are. They're always glass half full. They're always talking about the little thing that maybe went well and not the 40,000 bad things that just happened. They know how to handle you when you're struggling. They're so kind and compassionate. And we love being under these types of people. We want to be around people who are gentle. And we as Christians are called to this. But listen, it's not just for those who have the gift. (laughs) Paul's saying, for Christians, pursue gentleness. Be someone who who is gentle. You see, for me, I can be gentle in short bursts, but if you test that gentleness, i got to promise you, frustration and anger is coming out real quick. Real quick, that's going to happen. And I would guess many of you are very similar. But could you imagine a church family who are pursuing these things together? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. What an environment to be in. What an extraordinary relationship to have with other believers who are all doing this together, loving each other and being gentle with each other, kind and compassionate and steadfast, holding on to the truths of God's word. This is what we are supposed to be. Well, after pursuing, Paul says to fight. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. I think this is a mindset that we have to get in And that oftentimes, sadly, we forget as Christians. Yes, I talked about contentment last week. Yes, I said, Jesus told us my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And all of that is true. But it doesn't deny the fact that as believers, we wake up every morning and it's a fight. And we have to get this mindset in us that it is a fight. And we can't for a second let Satan tempt us to think, hey, today take a break. Hey, today, don't fight. Because as soon as that happens, we will fall and we will fail. It is is so hard, I think you guys can attest to this, to fight against our sin and our flesh. If you thought about contentment at all this week, you saw how hard that was. We're just prideful people. We're all about ourselves all the time. That's just all there is to it. And it's so hard to fight that sin We are so easily convinced at every moment to think, you know what's best is what's best for me right now. That's what's best for everybody, is if Tim is satisfied. What's best for me right now is if I feel good, if I like the situation that I'm in. But Paul, when he talks about fighting for the faith, that's not what he means. Paul is speaking here of a fight, not of our salvation, not of our justification. Christ won that for us. That's not the fight that's being talked about here. The fight that's talked about here is a, 
is putting our faith in Christ into an action. To move with that faith, trusting in Jesus. I'm reminded of, this is one of my uh, verses that have stuck with me ever since I was a kid. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Paul says here, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? He says, So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. He says, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the daily fight that I'm talking about as Christians. Every day we wake up and we have to be willing to face this fight as a Christian, to be disciplined, to fight sin, and to pursue love, gentleness, all those things that we just talked about. I think you understand every morning when your eyes wake up, And you maybe swing your legs over on the side of the bed, and for a second you're just sitting there. You realize at that moment, the day ahead of you, there's a lot of good possibilities that could happen, but there's also a lot of bad possibilities that could happen. We don't know what we might face when that day comes. But what we can determine, by the grace of God, is that today when I stand up and I get going, I'm willing to fight to be the Christian God has called me to be. I'm going to flee sin. I'm going to pursue righteousness. I'm going to pursue godliness. I'm going to pursue gentleness and steadfastness. See, that's something that we can actively do by the grace of God as he gives us the power and the Holy Spirit to do it. But we have to be willing to do this. And again, it doesn't sound like a fun thing to do. Getting in shape for a race is horrible. There's nothing fun about going outside and running for the first time in a while. And when people tell me it's fun, I think, you're one of them crazy church people I don't want to be around. Because that's not true. It hurts. And the next day, you can't get out of bed without remembering, I ran yesterday. It's an awful feeling. Listen, as a Christian, we are called to daily get up and run the race. Paul says, no distractions. I don't want to look to the left and I don't want to look to the right. Why? Because I continue looking forward. Because what is forward? The prize. There is Christ. With the eternal life that he has promised me. It's an imperishable crown. All the people around me, they're running a race. They're running a race. But at the end of their race is usually money, prestige, influence, power, whatever it might be. That's what's there. But listen, that fades. That stuff will all disappear. We in here are running a different race. At the goal is not money or fame or popularity. At the end of that race is well done, good and faithful servant. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. And so if that is what we are running for, should we not run with more certainty than any Olympic athlete? 
Should we not discipline ourselves according to the word of God? Much more than any entertainer or any, anybody else. Should we not actively pursue the things that God has called us to do? And should we not actively run away from the clear dangers that God has promised? Hey, these are dangers. Get away from them. If you're like me and you read all of this, you think, I'm already tired. I know that's how I feel when I read stuff like that. When I, when I was younger and in my 20s and I read 1 Corinthians 9, I thought, yeah, that's right, I could do this all day. Let's run the race. But now I'm 40 and I'm like, I can't even really see the prize at the end. My eyes don't work anymore. I don't know if I'm running straight or not. I hope I'm on the line. You know, I, I can't even tell. It's gotten a lot, a lot more difficult. And so when I read these types of things, it's just like, oh my gosh. Lord Jesus, come soon. I can't imagine doing this another 40 years. Well, Paul doesn't leave us, though, without hope, does he? Because he tells Timothy to take a hold of something, and I think this is important for us this morning. He says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You say, well, what is he talking about here? Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, take hold to the salvation that I've given you and remember it. You see, we just talked about running a race and we do it for a prize. If you are in Christ this morning, the prize is yours. It's yours. And Paul is telling us, as he tells Timothy, take hold of the prize. And so what I think would be good for some of us this morning, I don't know how Christ saved you. I don't know what the experience was like. For some of you this morning, you might say, I... I remember the exact date. I remember the exact location. I remember the moment that Christ opened my eyes to the truth and he saved my soul. If that's you this morning, I want you to seriously contemplate that moment and let it encourage you. That where you find yourself, where you find yourself today, listen, it doesn't surprise God. He knew that when he saved you, that today you would be right here struggling, happy, wherever you find yourself, he knew you would be right here. It's not, it's not messing with God at all. It's exactly according to plan. And what he wants you to do is to remember what he's done for you and the love that he has for you. Now, others of you, you might not be able to say, I remember the exact moment or whatever, but you just might, you know that God has saved you. You know that you've trusted in him fully because of the work that Christ has done for you. Can you remember the promises that he's taught you for a long time, and to hold on to those so that you will keep pursuing, keep fleeing, keep, keep fighting. So yesterday I had the privilege of doing a, another wedding. So there I stand before a couple who's completely ignorant of what marriage is, honestly. I mean, just, they're jumping in. It's over now, so they're in it. But every wedding... I say, I take the ring, and we do the ring ceremony. And I always show them the ring. And it's so elementary. It's so common sense. But I say, look at the shape of the ring. No end. Same with your marriage. It should never end, according to Scripture. But I also say, but it's made of a pure metal. And that pure metal is to remind you guys of this moment. You see, because at that moment, the bride walks down, and the groom's like, oh. She's awesome, look at her. And 
There's just this purity of love. And then they come and they're staring each other in the eyes and holding each other's hands. And it's just such a, such a special moment. To be honest, I always feel awkward because I'm standing right there with them. And it's like, <laughs> But I always encourage them. I say, remember this moment. Because in two weeks, two months, six months, you are going to ask the question. Because every married couple has done this. You are going to ask the question. Do you love me? It happens. You know it. Do you love me? And what do we have to hold on to? We have that ring that symbolizes, yes, I do. I promised I would forever. See, this morning, I think Paul reminds us to look back to our kind of like ring ceremony. Now, Paul would say, look to your baptism. Where, where God has done that work in your life, where you've been saved and You've trusted in him and you're being baptized because that's what God has called you to do. But so often Paul would say, if you ever for a second doubt God's love, remember your baptism. What did that mean? You were sealed. Look at that ring on your finger. Of course God loves you. You say, but life's so hard and life's so difficult. Yes, it is, but I want you to know God loves you. So much that he sent his son to die in your place. And in those moments when you say, but Pastor Tim, I don't think I can run anymore. I would remind you of Hebrews chapter 12. Where we're reminded as Christians, he says, remember the cloud of witnesses who have gone before you, who finished their race well. And beyond that, remember your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who endured death for you. Now many of us are very similar to the people in the book of Hebrews because the writer of Hebrews would go on to say many of you, many of you haven't even shed blood yet for Christ and you're already ready to quit. Look to Jesus. Look to him who ran his race all the way to the end in obedience to the Father to die. Why? He died for you. So the writer of Hebrews would say so strengthen up those legs, those arms that feel to be hanging. Get them up. You see, when runners run a race, you always hear every coach say, get your arms up. They're getting tired, and their natural reaction is to start putting their arms down. It's like you can't do that because your legs are going to follow if you do that. Get your arms up and pump those things because your legs will follow. It's the same for us. Don't let your arms droop. Don't lose focus, the writer of Hebrews says. Continue to run the race. And this morning, I, can, I encourage you to do that. Christian believer, keep running the race. Oh, the whole world is coming down on you. I know it. It's not cool to be Christian anymore. More and more people are turning away from the faith. They're going away. Listen, do not do that. Stay strong. Why? Because Christ died for you. And you are his Take hold of the eternal life that he has given you and know that no matter what this world does to you, as Pastor Spencer said a little bit ago, it cannot take from you what God has given you in Christ. You are his. And you are his forevermore. And so because of that, trust that he will give you the strength to pursue, to endure, to persevere. We as the church need to stay faithful. God has called us to that. And he reminds us of his steadfast love. 
And we cling to that steadfast love so that we're able to serve him how we're called to serve him. I'm going to ask you, would bow your head and close your eyes with me. We want to finish service by, we usually sing a song. But I offer up as we sing this song to give you the opportunity to respond to the word of God how you should. I don't know how God will use this message for you in your life this morning. Maybe some of you have gotten to the point where you think quitting sounds great. And hopefully God has used this message in his word to remind you we don't do that. Keep going. Or maybe for the first time God has opened up the truth of who he is and you're realizing that God loves you for the first time. And I hope that by faith you will trust in his son Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you would cling to him. Again, I don't know how you need to respond to the word, but I I hope that you will as the Holy Spirit leads you. So let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you for the power that you have given us through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us as believers. Who helps us to think clearly of when we need to flee and run or when we need to stay and fight. So God, I ask that you would help us. God, each one of us have just deep-seated sin in our heart that is really difficult to work on, and you know that. But God, as Christ's followers, that is what we do. And so God, as we realize our lack of contentment in the world, which really is a reflection of our lack of a contentment in you, God, help us to root out those seeds and that sin. God, as we realize the selfishness that we struggle with or the pride that we struggle with or just the lack of love that we seem to have in our heart anymore, God, change us. Help us to do the work necessary. Help us to look to Jesus, the one who ran this race perfectly yet would be killed on a cross for us in obedience to the Father. God, he is our example. And if they would do that to our Savior, it shouldn't shock us that they would not like us either. But God, that's what the church is for. We're not here alone. We're here to encourage each other, to be there for one another, to love each other. And so God, help us at Monroe Missionary Baptist Church to do that well, to really love and to care for one another. In the face of life's difficulties, in the face of this battle that we face, this fight that we continue to fight, Help us to know that we do not do it alone. God has given us a family here at this church to fight alongside of us. And God, I thank you for how often I've seen that happen. How often my brothers and sisters in the Lord have come and battled with me. When I felt like defeat was just going to happen. So often a church member has stepped in and helped me in that battle and even see victory. In cases where I was like, there's not going to be any victory here. God, thank you for not leaving us alone. But one, we have your son. We have the Holy Spirit. And then you've given us each other. And so we praise you for that. We thank you for that. God, as we sing this last song again, just help us to respond to your word how we should. We want to glorify you in our worship. We want to honor you in our praise. And so help us to do that now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.